0: You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged.
1: Listener supported WNYC Studios. Doing today? Well, I'm doing amazing because I just finished another outstanding book. This book is called Ghost. This
0: month we'll be reading Sunny by Jason Reynolds. Stunt boy. In the meantime, it's by
1: Jason Reynolds. You probably heard of him before. Right now, a lot of people are bringing up the fact that Black Lives Matter, and it's basically what this book is about. I recommend to read this book. And out of my database, I say 10 out of 10. Enjoyed reading every page of it. It's still very relevant in today. And I think it's very important to read this book. I love this book so much and I think you guys should definitely add this to your reading list. If you go to your local library, be sure to ask for Jason Reynolds. Honestly, it's one of the best I've ever read.
0: notes from america i'm kai wright and merry christmas i hope those who celebrate the holiday have had a day full of love and relaxation or just whatever it is you're seeking today we're going to celebrate the holiday here by revisiting one of my favorite conversations this year those voices you just heard were a sampling of the many young readers who have taken to youtube to talk about jason reynolds He's published more than a dozen books for young readers since his 2014 debut, and to many of those readers, and frankly to many parents and educators, his books are groundbreaking and essential. He crafts these rich, varied, and black worlds built around black protagonists from all walks of life, which is sadly still all too uncommon for this genre of publishing. Earlier this year, Jason released a four-part podcast in which we learn about his own story through the prism of his relationship with his mom. It's called My Mother Made Me from Radiotopia, and I spoke with him about it this past summer. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show to talk about your work.
1: Thank y'all for having me. It's good to be here.
0: I feel particularly grateful because one thing I immediately learned from your podcast is you're a little skeptical uh, of all these uh, podcasts and radio shows out here in these streets now. (laughs) Uh, And so I'm glad we could convince you to make time for us. Um, And, you know, I have to say I hear your contribution to this trove as really kind of a collection of intimate essays about what Mm. you've learned from your mom, both positive and negative lessons. Mm. Uh, You typically spend Sundays with her, right? Yes. Yes. So, so we've taken you away from that. Can can you just set the table for our audience? Um, how would you introduce your mom to us?
1: Oof, oof, oof. I mean, I think oh, we're talking about a seventy six year old giant of a woman, not in stature, but in spirit. Right? She's one of these women who has seen a lot of things in her life, have experienced many things, have studied many things, and therefore has always had a a uh, left of center bent on the way that she views life and death, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I think, if nothing more, she's an interesting, loving person who I hope uh, people will say has has birthed and raised an interesting, loving son.
0: Have you always been such close friends? I mean, you describe her as one of your best friends. Has that always been true?
1: Yeah, we've always. I mean, she's always treated me like a person. Mm. She never really. So like, I was her son, and it felt very sort of mother's son, but. I think if I were being honest, it also felt just as like equally uh, friendly, like this is somebody that I love and therefore someone I trust and therefore someone I can figure out how to communicate with and can laugh with and can wrestle with in terms of ideas and the ways that one might go about life. She's always, our relationship since very young, uh, open communicative doors, all of that kind of stuff has been the, the sort of you know, what built this archetype.
0: It's so funny to hear you say that, too, because, you know, I mean, one of the tropes of of Black life is, as kids, right, is our parents saying, I'm not your friend, I'm your parent. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and you're describing a very different relationship.
1: Yeah, she. I think she was more like, I am your friend and your parent, right? And I get to pick and choose which I need to push to the forefront at any given time. Yeah, yeah. You know? So
0: one thing you say that she taught you was, uh, your mantra, which is, I can do
1: anything. anything. Um,
0: and it's such a powerful idea to teach a young person, especially a black boy. Uh, but we learn in the podcast that it's also a burden for you as an adult, um, trying to be healthy. Can you talk about that a little bit? What, what is the up and the downside of this mantra your mom gave you? I can do anything. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think that when you learn as a young person, when, when that's your mantra, when that is the thing that is tethered to your to your identity, when that is the thing that is woven into the fibers of your constitution, since you were a very little a boy, uh, it's hard to undo that. But what is never taught along the way with such a mantra and such a sort of like focus and vision that I can do anything, discernment isn't always taught. Pacing isn't always taught balance isn't always taught patience isn't always taught right so like i'm I'm given this battery that says you can go and do anything you want to do um but there should have been some commas that came after (laughs) that you know what i mean like you can do what you want to do and uh, you can do it in a way that is healthy Mm -hmm. if comma if you learn to balance your life right Mm -hmm. but all of that was left off as a matter of fact. I can do anything was my mother's way of who who at the time was very much in the church. It was my mother's way of getting me ready for the rest of that scripture, Mm. which is through Christ, which strengthens me right? That's what it was. There was a comma there, right? right but right, this was how she sort of started it off. Now, I know the comma for me, and this point in my life should be, if you find balance in health mentally and physically. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean,
0: in, in this regard, because you talk a lot about this in the podcast, I, I want to play a clip from the podcast where you and your mom... You talk about the sort of catch-22 of wanting to be useful to people um, Mm -hmm. and having a life dedicated to service. I think this is from the second episode, or maybe it's the end of the first episode. But either way, take a listen.
1: Let me ask you this. What do you think makes you feel joy? Because that's what I'm trying to figure out. I think the main thing, Jace, when it boils down to that makes me feel good is to feel needed.
0: More needed than
1: wanted. More needed than wanted. I get that. I really, really do. It's like I said, there's nothing better than the moments I feel useful to the world. It almost makes me wonder if service is addictive. A drug that causes some kind of strange endorphin rush. Or if service has become a crutch I use to prop up some insecurity I'm unaware of. Mm. That's Mm. Jason
0: Reynolds talking to his mom. That's the end of episode one of the podcast. And Jason, I have to, you know, I found that so incredibly relatable as somebody who was raised by people who deeply valued being in service to others, to our community, to each other. Uh, and it's just that tension. Can you talk more about the tension you described there in that desire to be useful?
1: Of course. I mean, my mother, you know, when I was a young man, my mom would always say, you know, everyone's purpose in life is the same. It's to be of service. And the vehicle from which that service comes is the tricky part, right? That's what you're trying to find. But our jobs are all the same job. And what's interesting about that though, is that if I, if I really believe that my, my life is meant to be a life in service, what I also have to understand is that is that like I can't allow service to become a crutch for me to never have to deal with the fact that there are other things happening with the way that my life is progressing as far as my career is concerned. What do I mean by that? What I mean is if you can couch everything—it's the same way we do children, right? If you can couch everything into children, if you can say, I'm doing it for the kids, then you'll give yourself an excuse to do everything, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You'll give yourself an excuse to never say no. And to never have to say no. The same goes for being of service, right? It's something that we value and we see as something that is honorable and something with merit and that comes with a certain level of gravitas. When really, what it can do is serve as a shroud, right? A veil over the truth that you are overworking yourself. And you're overworking yourself because you are trying to figure out how to close holes in your life that you haven't quite been, you know, built yourself up to Ouch. admit are there. And I'm talking about myself. This is what I'm going through, mm. right? And this, is, and this is what it feels like. As long as I can put it in service, I don't got to deal with the truth. Mm. Can, can, and that's I, real,
0: can right? I ask you, what, what holes are you thinking about?
1: I think that if I were being honest, I think that I would, I would have to admit that like, it is, I feel incredibly grateful to have made it this far, to have written the things I've written and made the life for myself that I've made. But I would be lying if I said that every day isn't a day I think about what happens if it all goes away. Mm. That's a real thing, right? Because the, the the life itself feels like a miracle, and so and so to to assume or believe that it will be something substantial enough to last the, for the rest of my life is hard to wrap one's head around. Um, and so I think if I can just stay in service, I feel like number one, I'm working. Right. And therefore keeping sort of my, my, the, the real nuts and bolts of my life moving and working right. And number two, if karma is a real thing, then clearly I'm setting myself up. Right. But does that make it, does it, does it still work the same if I know what I'm doing? Right. That almost feels, it feels too, almost too self aware and therefore. You know, and therefore, self-aggrandizing and self-indulgent. I don't know if karma still works, but, like, Uh these are the things that I'm always... always...
0: (laughs) Why were these such important ideas for you to get to in a podcast? Because, I mean, you know, self-care has become a political idea in my lifetime, right? Particularly Mm -hmm. in racial justice spaces. Um, And, you know, honestly certainly i do i struggle to balance the need to be of some sort of use to people um uh, in addressing the many problems that humankind has you know and the desire to simply go away and be left alone frankly um and i suspect there are so many people that feel that way um and so we've got this language around self-care now but why was that if you could have made a podcast about anything this was a big part of your conversation in episode one at least why was this important to you
1: I think one because it's a part of my life that I grapple with every single day, and I wanted to be honest about what it is that I was trying to make in this podcast. And I think it would have been disingenuous to keep it out, right? And I think number two, um, it's just because this is what I'm dealing with, and I want and I want people to know that. I think our, I think bearing witness to the lives of other people uh, confirm that your life is just a life. There is nothing extraordinary about it that is making you, for you to feel any shame around, like you don't have to ever feel singular, hmm. right? And so I think if we talk about these things, including from people who oftentimes in our society get lifted up because yeah. of the things that they've made or whatever they've, people feel like they've contributed, I think this is the true contribution, to be able to go in front of all those people who have, who have paid into your life, who believe in what you make and tell them the truth about who you are. I don't owe it to anybody, but I think that it could be just as liberating as one of these stories. Mm.
0: To say, yeah, it's hard. I struggle. It's hard.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm talking with author Jason Reynolds, author of more than a dozen wildly popular books for young readers. He's got a new podcast from Radiotopia called My Mother Made Me, in which he talks about his relationship with his mom and his own journey on this planet as a human being. We'll take a break and come back to pick Jason's mind about the power and the necessity of stories for young people as they embark on their own life journeys. We'll be right back. Notes from America is supported by the Innocence Project, working to free innocent people from prison, prevent wrongful convictions, and create fair, compassionate, and equitable systems of justice for everyone. More at InnocenceProject.org. Hey, gang, this is Kai, and I've got some really cool news. So for Martin Luther King Day, we are going to record our show live from the stage of the Apollo Theater here in Harlem. This is part of an annual event that WNYC produces at the Apollo to honor MLK Day every year. It's back in person this year. And for the first half hour of it, I'm gonna be hosting conversations that are inspired by the song, Young, Gifted, and Black. That's our text, so to speak. And it's gonna be a great night. It's a two hour program with notes from America in the first half, and then, you know, live music and spoken word and other cool performance stuff in the second half. The event is Sunday, January 15th. That's MLK Day. And if you're going to be in the New York area, how about come through and join us? The tickets are free, but you do have the RSVP to get them. So go to WNYC.org MLK 2023. Get more information. Get your tickets. Uh, they're going to be available starting January 2nd. Okay. I hope I'll see you there.
1: Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and this week we're revisiting a conversation I had earlier this year with young adult author Jason Reynolds. We talked about his podcast, My Mother Made Me, which is all about his relationship with his mom. Jason, as I listened to your conversations with your mom, I also thought about what I know of your your story and your journey as a writer. Um, and I gather you took a while to fall in love with the written word, right? Um, I've heard somewhere else you say that you didn't read a full novel until you were in college. Why is that? Yeah. What, what was what was your disinterest?
1: I mean, I just think, I, you know, none of the books that I was asked to read in school sounded anything like my mother and I. Mm. It sounded nothing... Like what I was looking for was, I was looking for the details of my life, right? The universal truths were there for sure in the books that were being sort of suggested for me or put on curriculums, right? But I was looking for whatever that sound is in my mother's voice, whatever that smell is coming from those pots, what right? I want that. I want my family and my friends, the neighborhood, right? The ice cream truck, the things that I was used to um, the details of my life, and i I think that because I never saw them uh, i felt uh I felt dismissed as if my story or those the reality of my life wasn't good enough to be written about yeah. um and so it took a while for me
0: and what caught you what What made you be like, Wow, this is this i mean i read I
1: mean, I mean i mean two things rap music. <laughs> was a game changer for me, right? Rap music was something that, and something still that I value very much. I, despite its complexities and its ever evolving state, uh, I'm a person who firmly believes that that music has saved a lot of lives. Um, it, I mean, to see people use vocabulary in that way, to take right. advantage of the vocabulary, to really understand how to bend language. Um, I, it felt like magic as a 10 year old. And then the other thing, it's, I, read, I read Black Boy by Richard Wright when I was yeah. 17, almost 18 years old. And it was it, whatever, there was something there for me, right? That catalyzed me. There was something there for me that broke me open. I don't know, always know what it is, but it changed everything. Yeah. yeah.
0: What, how did this inform you as a writer? I mean, once, so particularly as a writer for young people, that particular journey, the fact that it sort of took you a minute to find it, how yeah. has that shaped what you then set to, set out to write?
1: I think I I think I enter into the space of of writing specifically for kids with a different kind of empathy right because I understand what it is to not want to read. I was not a bookworm. I, and so many people in our in, in this industry, obviously, they grew up reading and writing. That's how it usually happens. You know, you you ask my my colleagues how long they've been writing, they're like, oh yeah, for years. You know, this is what I've been doing since I was a child. I've been reading since I was a kid. They got pictures of themselves on the bed, you know, like under the cup. You know what I mean? Like, but that wasn't my that wasn't my my reality. And so because that's not my story, I think I enter in, I enter into this space with those kids on my mind. I understand, right? I don't I don't want to make you feel bad because you don't want to read i actually understand why you don't want to read and because i understand that i can approach my books uh coming through the back door Mm, right i'm fully aware what you're looking for because you're looking for exactly what i was looking for and so all i gotta do is just buck the system and get it on the page and i know that this might have a better chance of, of roping you in and i've been fortunate to see it all to see it work man for the most part
0: I also kind of wonder about how, you know, what you were talking about before the break of your sort of being haunted by this notion that, oh, you know, I've had this success, but it could all go away. Like, how does that show up in your work? Does that inform you in any way?
1: It only informs my productivity. Oh, wow. It only only informs my sort of obsession with working. Um, you know, I'm. You know, it's like the old Mike Tyson. You know, if you listen to Mike Tyson interviews, he'll always tell you that what he, what you were witnessing when we were all watching him knock people out in thirty seconds <laughs> was a, was, a, was a nineteen year old scared to death, mm. right? And the fear was driving um, was driving the genius in a strange mm. way. And I think that's closer to my story, man. Like I'm, and I'm trying. Look, man, I'm in therapy hardcore. We working through it. I'm getting there, you know. Right, right, I, right. It won't. It won't be this way forever. I'm sorting it out, right? But I, but that, I, but I don't want to lie to you and tell you that, like, the reason I work so hard and I've worked this hard for so long, uh, is, be, is, is because is because I value, I value my opportunity so much so that I would do everything to protect it.
0: Uh, And Jason, we opened our mailbox for questions before the show, and we got one from Cassandra in Belleville, Illinois, uh, and that's uh, Supergirl in the unofficial Goodreads community on on Discord, by the way. Shout out to that group listening. Uh, And Supergirl wanted to know just basically why you chose to write for young readers in the first place.
1: Mm. I mean, so it kind of happened to me. I never, I didn't know what I was choosing. When I got into the game, people don't know this, but I, you know, I got signed when I was 21, right? So I've been around a long time, I'm almost 40, you know, it's almost 20 years. Yeah. And, and so people, you know, people are like, man, this kid just came out of nowhere. It's like, nah, I've been around for yeah. almost two decades. And I remember when I got signed, the book that I had written, co-written with my buddy, Jason Griffin, because we were we were 20 in our early twenties and teens and we wrote it, they the voice sounded very young, and so they were like, "This is a great book. We love it. We're going to publish it in the young adult sector." And we were like, "We don't even know what that is. <laughs> I never heard of young adult. I had never heard. I didn't start reading until I was a whole adult. Right? To, <laughs> right. It never dawned on me that there was a such thing as young adult literature. No clue. The book comes out on young adult, and and I fall in love with the experience of like, of like realizing that you're you're, you're speaking to. The young people of the world, because who else is there really to speak to? Who else is there really to write for, or be thinking about in this moment? Honestly, mm-hmm. other than our elders, I don't know anyone I don't know what, what other population is necess- is more necessary to consider um, as young people are. Well, so it it chose me and then I stayed it chose
0: you but to dig in on that a little bit I mean, why so why are stories like the idea of story? Why is that so important for young people? You think, you know, I mean you obviously as you said it's it chose you You've sort of dedicated your whole life to it at this point Um, But but what do you think stories and narrative do for us as we try to find our way in this world? Why is that an important tool?
1: I mean, first of all, they're the most valuable things that we all own Right. No matter what else you own as possession, shirt, clothes, shoes, car, house, right. It doesn't matter. Nothing is more about more valuable than your story. The reason why is because your story is, is the thing that this is how we connect to one another as human beings. This is the universal love language, our story. This is the way that we protect ourselves from the potential war that we could cause, uh, against one another. This is the way like, I mean, literally when you think about story, this is the way that we disarm one another. Right. This is the way that we learn to listen to one another. This is the way we choose to love. And it exists in every single part of our lives. Some people say, well, I'm not really a reader. I like music. It's the story in that music. I love film. Narrative music is
0: the best music, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's it. It's the story in that film. Even if the music is only instrumental, it's the story. It's still in the story of those instruments, right? Narrative is being formed at all times. Our lives are rooted in narrative, whether we know it or not. That's the beauty of it is that most times, we experience it and don't even know what's happening. But that's how narrative works when it's good. Mm. Right? When it's good, you don't even know, you don't always know that you're that you're experiencing someone else's story. Right? When really what's happening is in the experience of that story, you have been made whole. Mm. You have been made bigger. It's brilliant. Yeah. This is right. the life source, the right. life blood. This is it. In the beginning was the word, right? Like, if even if, if you are on that side, or if you're a religious person, this is what is, it's always been this. I mean, everything we know, we know because of narrative. Right. It's how we see the word, how we walk through it. So that's why I think it's important.
0: You're the, the, the Library of Congress's National Ambassador for Young People's Literature, going around saying things like that to them. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and this puts you in conversation with a lot of young readers. I, I've heard you talk about the sort of questions they ask you about your stories. Mm. What have you learned from that part of your work? Like What, what have you learned from being asked questions by them?
1: That young people are interested in the normalcy of everyone, including the people that they see as abnormal, right? So young people want to know stuff like, you know, uh, what are you most afraid of, right? Or what's what was the saddest moment? What was the darkest moment? And how did you get through it? Wow. Or what kind of car do you drive? <laughs> yeah. Or who's your favorite basketball player, Who's your favorite rapper right and and what and the reason why I love those questions is because what they do is they acknowledge the humanity of the person i'm a, i'm a I'm a person who gets who gets treated uh, all sorts of ways by by the public, most of which I'm overwhelmed with gratitude and humility. But when you get around kids, even with all of that, they just want to know the human stuff. Yeah. what's your favorite food? right? And there's something in that that says, that says, "Here's your opportunity to prove to me that you are me." Oh, wow! Say more about that, right? I think I think that young people they they offer a space, and this is to all the adults listening. They have this way of offering a space to. To condescend. Now, when I say condescend, I'm not speaking about the negative connotation. I'm speaking about the, the, the historic connotation of condescend, which is when the king, quote unquote, would come down from the castle, come down from the mountain and be amongst everybody uh, and, and, and take off the, the, the regalia, take off the crown and the robe and the jewels, uh, allow them to call him by his first name. Right. Right. Like and be amongst the people so that, so that they were clear that he was just them, that he was no different. Right. And I think young people have a way of offering us an opportunity to do that, to condescend, right? To come down and remind them not only were you once 12 or were you once 14, but that some of that 14-ness still exists in you and you're grateful for it. Right, that's what it is for me. Right, who's your favorite rapper? What's your favorite food? What kind of car you drive? Uh, do you are you on TikTok? And can I follow, <laughs> can you? I follow right? you? Right, like <laughs> do you play Fortnite? Do you play Fortnite? Do you got a PlayStation Five? Right, and and I think these are the, my favorite questions. I'd rather them ask me this than ask me uh, when you wrote so and so. What was the, the subplot of the story? Right, you right, right, Because Who are, is right, because when they're day. 30 years old and they're 40 years old, they'll say, yo, I remember when I was 14, I got to ask Jason Reynolds what his favorite video game was. they remember that more than everything else.
0: Uh, we have a seventh grade teacher calling, uh, Michael in Richfield, Connecticut. Michael, welcome to the show. You have a question for Jason? Yes, I do. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, Mr. Reynolds, I just, I just want to say uh, that I'm a seventh grade teacher in an urban district here in, in uh, Connecticut, and uh, we have... In my in my actual classroom library, I have Ghost and All American Boys, in in my library where I picked up those books uh, um, over the years, and so I, I, I I'm just so excited that you know that my students have gotten to read um, this work that really pertains to their lives. I'm I'm curious, like as an adult, how you continue to sort of hear the voices of mm. you know an adolescent or a younger audience, like with all the changes that's going through in our society and, 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 you know, their own personal lives, like what, what are you accessing to like really bring that authenticity still to, um, an an adolescent audience?
1: Thanks for that, Michael. This is a good question, Michael. And, and, and honestly, it gets harder and harder with each passing year. <laughs> um, but I'm fortunate because I keep I keep young people around me. So I'm one of those people who, you know, right now, right now, this very moment downstairs, my little cousins are down there laughing and joking. And they're all just barely out of high school. Right. And so I and, and, they, and I and I listen to them and I stick around them and I and I, you know, Do whatever I can. I listen to their music. I I play their games. I'm on their social medias. I'm on that. I I have, do I have a TikTok? Yes, I have to have one, (laughs) right? Do I like it? Not necessarily, but I have to have it. Do I listen to their music? All of it. Do I like it? Some of it. (laughs) Some of it, right? But it seems
0: like you really enjoy childhood. Like that's part of the point.
1: It's the best part of life. And so for me, I think I'm always trying to access it because I, because I appreciated it when it was happening and I appreciate it now still. You know, even the childlike parts of myself.
0: Well, I, I need to ask you um, to reflect on something basic about your work that's related to this. I mean, your stories are about Black childhood in specifically. Mm-hmm. Was that a conscious choice you made or is that just your experience? So that's what you wrote about?
1: No, that's conscious. Very much so. I, uh, you know, I'm one of those people, man, who, gosh, you know how, when you talk to, uh, if you ever speak to like a, an Italian person, man, and you get them talking about like in New York city around, there's a big festival You know, this, I think it's the San Gennaro uh-huh. festival. Right. And, and you talk to sort of the Italian folks down there in the middle of that festival and the pride, the pride that they feel. Right. Uh, like that's how I feel. Like, and I don't make no bones about it. I don't try to ever shy away from it or shrink it. It's like, nah, I'm so, so proud to be a black person, specifically in, in this particular context, a black American. And the reason why is because I am the proof of survival. Right? I am the proof of survival. And not just survival, but a thriving and a joy And 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 I think that it's just one of the most special things to me. It's a special thing. So yes, I choose to write this because I think so many of our youngins have, they don't know just yet how how they too are the proof. They are living proof, Mm. right of of what can come from catastrophe.
0: I wonder how much that thought and that emotion also connects to your fear. Um oh. of, of basically a failure, that it could all go away, like if, if on one hand, you're proof of our survival, um, that yeah. you could also be proof of,
1: of our of our death. Absolutely. I think that I think about that often. I mean, isn't that that's, that's the burden that so many of us carry, right? It's like it's never just for you. Right. It's for you, your daddy, your mama, your household, your block, your neighborhood, your borough, your whole state, all the black people. <laughs> like, and so I think I think that's one of those weird things that is unfair to us, by the way. We should not have to carry that kind of burden. Um, and, and one day, hopefully I'll be able to put mine down. But they, that day hasn't come. I I think about what it is to let to let myself down. But I think about all the people who are counting on me, man. Huh. I think about that, and I, and that's a big deal for me. I, that matters to me. My mother, my father, my siblings, my my neighborhood, all these kids. That I'm that I'm doing my best to serve. Like I think about all of th- all of it. I, I understand the weight and the magnitude of what it is I'm trying to do. I'm fully aware.
0: We got about a minute left, but I do want to ask you quickly just about the political moment we live in, which books like yours, books about what things, where we have a new political debate about what kids are being taught um, and what kids can read and can't read. And I sometimes wonder whether or not it, it's overwrought or whether or not it is as dire as it seems the threat. And I just wonder quickly where you stand on that.
1: Oh, I I think that any, any, any notion, um, any small notion of censorship is a threat, right? So I'm on the side of threat, I think it's threatening. Um, do I think that they're blowing out of proportion, uh, what they think the contents of these books are? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But, but do I think that we should all be a little alarmed or a lot alarmed at the fact that books are being censored in this country, like as easily as it's happening these days? Yeah, yeah. This is a very, very scary time. It's a dangerous thing. Um, and and that's kind of where I am with it. I'm frustrated and upset as everybody else.
0: Well, I hope you keep writing. Jason Reynolds is author of more than a dozen incredibly popular books for young adults, for young readers. Uh, He's the Library of Congress's National Ambassador for Young People's Literature, and he's got a new podcast all about his relationship with his mom. It's called Radiotopia Presents My Mother Made Me. Jason, thanks for all of this. Thanks for your words. Thanks for this conversation.
1: My pleasure. Talk soon.
0: That was my conversation with Jason Reynolds from earlier this year. I'm pleased you're spending this Christmas evening with us. And if you missed our holiday music show a couple of weeks ago, let me recommend that to you for later tonight as well. We asked listeners to help us curate a notes from America holiday playlist. It was so much fun. You guys really showed up. Many people called in to even sing their recommendation. I did not, but I really appreciate you doing so. Anyway, you can find that playlist by going to our podcast feed and looking for the link in the show notes of any of our recent episodes, or you can just search for it on Spotify. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. You can find us wherever you get your podcast, or at notesfromamerica.org. We're on Instagram at Notes with Kai. That's K-A-I. Mixing and music by Jared Paul. Our show is edited, produced, and reported by Karen Frilman, Vanessa Handy, Regina Dehier, Mahima Nasa, and Kusha Navadar. I'm Kai Wright. Thanks for spending time with us tonight, and happy
1: holidays.